welcome to the Technological Podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Technological. My name is Seren, one of your co-hosts. I'm joined here by Avi, uh, our other co-host, and Shardul Walker, who uh, we actually met back uh, in 2018 working at Salesforce together. We had started around the same time. We were both doing product marketing. Uh, and now, uh, now Shardul it does creator marketing at Public. Um, so we want to focus this episode fully on creator marketing, uh, influencers, this is a new uh, field and space that's really gotten a lot of excitement. Um, and a lot of businesses are using influencer and creator marketing as a way to, to uh, increase their brand awareness and, and also um, generate uh, a lot of revenue. So uh, with for, without further ado, I'd love to pass it on to you, Shardul. Just uh, introduce, introduce yourself and uh, let the audience know a little bit about your background. Yeah, thanks for the intro, Saren. Uh, so as you mentioned, we met back in 2018 when we both used to work for Salesforce, and now we both work at completely different places. Uh, as time goes on, things change. Um, but yeah, my background is very random, um, I would say. I kind of started, uh, I grew up in Arizona um, and went to college at Arizona State, majored in electrical engineering. Uh, so was definitely living the like late nights engineering lifestyle for four years in undergrad. Um, and then around, uh, around like junior, senior year, I kind of knew that I wanted to go out of the state. I'd spent like 20 years in Arizona and I was like, great. The heat is fantastic, but there's like a whole world to see out there. Uh, so then I went to Intel in, or at, or, in uh, Oregon, um, to go and, you know, experience what big tech is like. Um, I think very quickly and after the next few years, kind of getting some experience under my belt, I really wanted to reinvent like kind of what I was doing. And I was interested in doing marketing, um, partly because I was more interested in like the business side of tech and less so in the software and the hardware uh, and everything that I was doing at Intel. Um, then joined Salesforce, did a lot of marketing stuff there for a few years. And then most recently joined Public, uh, where I now work as the creator marketing lead. Um, and my main role is to work with creators that are in our app. Public itself is a social stock investing company uh, where you can you know, create a whole social following as well as invest in the stock market uh, and grow your portfolio, as well as just learn from other experts um, and ask questions from a community of over a million people. Um, so uh, I work as a creator marketing lead at Public, and what that means is working with creators in our app, finding people that are creating great content in our community, uh, as well as bringing new creators onto the platform from all the other places where they create content, TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, Twitch, any other platform where content is generated, uh, we wanna bring them to, to Public and kinda just let people learn about stock investing and increase their financial literacy uh, and hopefully they choose to do that with our app but that's kind of what I do at public outside of that as he as Siren briefly mentioned I have a newsletter and a podcast and I think now I'm just kind of like I want to do a lot more things with my time than just have my nine to five I think I spent the first like three years out of college um, just doing the nine to five and then like playing sports in the evenings which is fine uh, and now it's more like, all right, can I like hustle and grind uh, and just like create a lot of stuff um, and put things out there for ho hopefully other people to be inspired to create their own stuff. Awesome. So, yeah. really that, a, that was a long intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. I mean, you've done a lot already, right? So I think it's 
one thing you know we really want to touch on is you know how did you start thinking about your career like while you were in college so I know you talked about wanting to go more to the business side and kind of marketing was the natural pathway for that but like product marketing is a lot different than you know what you're doing at Intel originally software engineering and coming from like an electrical engineering background so yeah. Like when does gear started turning like, okay, maybe marketing is what I want to do. How, what steps would you start taking to get into like the marketing division and stuff like that? Yeah. So when I joined Intel, I actually joined, uh, as a software engineer. So that was a little bit of a, a jump already because I was majoring in electrical engineering at, at, at uh, Arizona state. And then from there, uh, very much hardware focused, very much like didn't really know how to code. Um, so I kind of taught myself how to build websites and then somehow finagled my way into an IT job at Intel, um, building enterprise web apps. After about a year and a half, I kind of realized that I didn't really like building software that much. I didn't like coding as much as I thought I would. I liked the idea of talking to users and understanding how to help them solve their problems. And that is literally the thesis of all marketing is talking to your customers, understanding their needs, and then ideally solving them. Um, and so I started asking around Intel. I had like a decent network around the company. Um, There's a cool, some cool projects that we had built out that ended up coming to like the internal newsletter. Uh, and I just asked my manager, I was like, hey, I really want to do stuff on the marketing side. I want to understand like, how did Intel go from being this like garage sale product uh, back in like the 70s with uh, Bob Noyce and Gordon Moore to being like a household name, right? Uh, and like my barometer is always if my mom knows about the company, I don't have to explain it to her. Marketing has worked, right? My mom's not in tech whatsoever. Uh, and there's only a handful of companies that she comes across where she's like, oh, I know what they do, right? And so Intel is one of those. Salesforce is weirdly not one of those and public, it's a startup, definitely it's not one of those. So uh, I was like, how did Intel go from being like relatively unknown to like my mom now knows it by the back, by, by like the back of her hand. And that is the, she's not the, the only person, but like that's the barometer from how I measure good marketing. So I asked my manager, I kind of wanted to just learn more about like, how do we do marketing at Intel? What are the programs and initiatives that we're pushing? Um, how do we create different collateral? Who do we partner with? Um, and what are like, what's our event marketing strategy, things like that. And then he connected me with a bunch of different people Then I actually transitioned within Intel to go from being a software engineer to being a technical marketing engineer after I think, uh, after like two years at Intel. I switched from my last year to be a technical marketing engineer. Um, so it was a little bit more still on those engineering side of like still coding, doing some software hardware integrations with robotics and, and AI. But it was more on how do we educate the masses on the different products we have within the AI portfolio and the data center portfolio. That's cool. And I think uh, like just having a technical background, being an engineer and then going into marketing or something more business related is such a killer combination. And I've seen so many marketers just succeed because you're actually able to understand the tech and know exactly what it's doing to be able to tell a good story. And, and, and you generally have more of like the energy to want to learn. Um, so uh, killer combo, talk a little bit about your time at Salesforce, what you learned there, what your role was there and, and like what the big things were um, that kind of uh, 
helped you uh, at least gain skills to where you are today? Yeah. Uh, so I think of Intel as like the first foray um, for me, at least in, in big tech and in Salesforce was, I mean, chronologically the second, but very much different. Uh, and the reason I think about it that way is Intel to me was getting my feet wet into marketing and like understanding how a big company does things and then taking a lot of those learnings and applying it to Salesforce uh, for marketing programs specifically. So when I joined at Salesforce, was, uh, I joined as a technical product marketing manager. So it is almost a full shift away from engineering, uh, which is where I wanted to go. I wanted to go more down the marketing route um, and grow my career on that area anyway. So from a resume standpoint, it made a lot of sense. Um, at Salesforce, I was working on what's called the keynote demo team. And the premise is basically as more and more events pop up, we are dealing with big and big, bigger and bigger audiences. So we have things like Dreamforce, which is our annual conference. We have a bunch of different trade shows around the world. Our team was specifically tasked with how do we create compelling demos to ideally convert sales. So when someone comes to a Salesforce conference at a trade show, what they're looking for is they may know Sales Cloud. They may know that we just acquired MuleSoft. We may know, they may know like a few things here and there about the latest news, but what they wanna see is the product in action. They wanna be like, how does this work? How does it look like if I buy it? And that is exactly what our team did. So we would work with the highest levels of the executives, executive teams, um, all the way up to the CEO, the chief product officer, et cetera, uh, and kind of create those demos and tell those stories in the eyes of the customer to ideally sell them a full package solution um, and convert those sales. So that's kind of like a third of my job. The second third of it was working with all the product managers across different teams to understand what's the latest launches, what's the latest marketing messaging, um, what does the product look like right now? How's it gonna look like in the future? Uh, what can we do to kind of help you guys out? And just understanding kind of the lay of the land internally and keeping everyone happy. Um, and a lot of that was mostly internal, but it would just be what can we say to the public and what can we include in the demo um, and what can we not include in the demo, especially as we have new product releases and launches that come up every every trade show and every uh, event. And the last third of it was more internal, I call it internal empowerment or like internal training, where because we were working with like the highest level of audience, we would have tens of thousands of people, even like a million plus for Dreamforce, uh, watching our demos and kind of understanding those stories. A lot of those stories would take, would go from Dreamforce to international events. Salesforce is, you know, a huge company across the world. So other countries would be like, hey, we saw this at Dreamforce. Can we use it for our events in Paris, in Germany, in Tokyo, in India? And because we are kind of like the top tier in terms of Salesforce demos, a lot of that would have a trickle down effect. What that meant was, how do we take a lot of these best practices that we've built out when we're presenting on the biggest stages and uh, teach the people that are presenting on lesser stages, I guess, or smaller sized today stages? Um, because not everyone is presenting at Dreamforce. Even at Salesforce, there's, I don't know the headcount now, but uh, at the time, it's ten, it was tens of thousands of people, right? So the demo team was probably like 20 people, 30 people max. Um, so it became, how do we create coursework and take those best practices and then package them up into training the rest of the workforce to tell stories the way that we do at the highest level of the, co of the company. 
Um, and that kind of became a third, the last third of my job is, is kind of evangelizing those best practices and making sure that all of us speak the same language. We're kind of aligned on how to create demos um, and just make the company sell more product. Yeah, I can attest to that. Uh, Shardul is, uh, yeah. is, is a good teacher. He, he's the one who taught me all my demo skills that I know today. So, uh, you know, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you did the work. I think you just attended the hour-long uh, teaching session. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, going into, okay, you're at Salesforce, you're, you're doing a technical marketing role, product marketing role, you're creating demos and, and like showcasing stories of how powerful our products are visually and actually in product. Where did creator marketing come from? Like, how did that, <laughs> how, how did you decide to get into that? Yeah, I think um, it was around 20, I want to say like early 2019. Uh, well, actually, let me back up. I, I've been watching creators for almost a decade. Uh, been a huge fan of like YouTube. Um, even on Facebook, there's like a few creators that I would follow. Uh, so I've been watching and consuming content. And I feel like everyone has in some capacity uh, ever can since you, you're a kid. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but can you just quickly like describe what creator marketing is itself? Oh, yeah, for sure. Is? Because I think like, even for me, sometimes I'm like, what, what is creator marketing? Like, you know, like what is the realm? Like who is doing it? Like there's definitely different verticals, but just kind of give like a quick primer on it. I think that'd be great. Uh, great question. Uh, I think. The way that I think about creator marketing and kind of the one-liner I like to think about it uh, as is creator marketing is essentially marketing to anyone that creates content. Um, that's kind of the quick definition. Uh, what that means from a brand perspective is now that there's so many different ways to create content as a creator, you can create YouTube videos, you can do podcasts like this, you can create newsletters, you can create courses. There's so many ways to create content brands are looking to creators to kind of grow their marketing strategies and grow their marketing audience, build that awareness, and just generally make more people aware of that company or brand or product. Uh, so that's kind of creator marketing from a brand side. From a creator side, it just makes a lot of sense. If you're already using a certain product, you love what they stand for, you love their values, you love kind of the, their vibe and the way that they talk about things, then uh, obviously you want to maybe help them out with their message or kind of like their value prop. And from a creator standpoint, the majority of creators, when it comes to going full time, uh, are making money through brand deals, ads, sometimes through affiliate links, but the majority is through brand deals. And so you want to work with brands that you align with and that you like talking to. Um, and it's a kind of a win-win. A brand gets a creator's audience to kind of build out their general marketing strategy, get more eyeballs on their content, understand more about the product, how it works. And then the creator gets the brand and they actually get paid to create the content that they want to create. So that's kind of creator marketing in a nutshell. Um, the way I got started was actually almost by accident. <laughs> uh, and back in 2019, I kind of realized that um, working at Salesforce was absolutely fantastic. I loved the team there. I loved what we were working on, but I really quickly realized that there's so many things I was doing that were not creating things for me. Uh, and I really wanted to kind of like shift into creating stuff for myself. And I was like, what would I want to see 
now if I was an undergrad, even though I was five years removed from undergrad. Um, and that's when I started thinking about like, hey, how do I launch a podcast? How do I launch a newsletter? What do I want to write about? And I kept coming back to the fact that like, I have five to 10 YouTubers that I watch almost like religiously to the point where I know more about these people's lives from watching their daily, weekly content than I do my own family, right? And I've never met these people, but I'm consuming their content on a very regular basis. And I'm building this relationship where I'm like, I know what he did yesterday, but I don't know what my sister did yesterday, <laughs> right? Like, I'm. it's not that I'm like pedestooling these people. It's just like, I'm consuming their content so frequently and, and really investing in this relationship. Um, but I don't have anything to show for it myself. Like if someone asked me like, hey, uh, we're hiring for this creator marketing role, uh, who are some creators that you uh, follow? I can rattle off as many names as I want, right? Like I have five or 10 people that I consume continuously, but from a career perspective or a job perspective, I was like, I haven't created anything to show that I have some expertise. No company is gonna be like, I can tell you the way that Casey Neistat started on YouTube and here's kind of like a half hour rundown on his life based on his vlogs that I've watched over the last like six, seven years. That's helpful, but it's not necessarily showing some type of expertise in um, how the business side works. So uh, creating the podcast was ironically uh, the way that I wanted to get better at talking long form. Um, I've bunch of the feedback that I got from presenting at Salesforce, uh, different conferences, teaching the courses was uh, just me just kind of self-reflecting and being like, I need to get better at talking long form. A podcast is literally professional talking. So why don't I just start doing a podcast? So I started doing that, found like a niche where I was doing kind of like audio news uh, and keeping myself up to date with tech. And then the newsletter was very much in the same vein around creators. And the newsletter is called Creators Digest. Substack.com. Small plug. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I just upped it to kind of doing two times a week. So Wednesdays is kind of a, a midweek roundup of creator news in the creator economy. Uh, and then Sundays, I call it origin stories. Uh, I just changed the name from or from uh, deep dives to origin stories. But the idea is like getting a full in-depth newsletter article of how a certain creator had their come up and what was like, what are some brands that they're working with? How do they make money? Um, are they kind of going into non-traditional areas? So aside from like merch, affiliates, brand deals, are they doing things like renting out an Airbnb or creating a course or launching a newsletter? Uh, so all these things were like, you may know a little bit about who that person is because you've seen a video or you've seen an ad by them, but what are all the other areas where they're monetizing or building an audience? And that deep dive on Sundays is basically just exactly that, is understanding the origin story of how someone started becoming a creator and where they're at now. That's sweet. What are... Uh... Can you give an example of one of the creators that you had dove deep into and like, you know, maybe like what is the most interesting thing about uh, how they monetize or, or what their workflow is like? Yeah, I think there's a, a few that are my favorite. Um, uh, I, I wrote an article about Valkyrie, um, who's, I think, probably the biggest Twitch 
the biggest female Twitch streamer uh, ranking wise, I think, period. <laughs> uh, and so her like origin story is very much, it's very interesting, but it's also fascinating where she was a GameStop employee at the very beginning when she was in high school, just like talking to people about certain games. And uh, then very quickly, she would like create, she created an Instagram account where she would post some of the pictures from the GameStop store. And she's like, hey, this game is coming out, come check it out on Thursday or whatever. And that Instagram account started getting more followers. And then uh, she would get, she would ask her audience questions. That was like, hey, what games do you want to see next? And very quickly, Twitch started becoming a thing. And her audience was like, you should go on Twitch and like play some of these games live. So that's exactly what she did. And she started, you know, blowing up from there, what led to a bunch of brand deals. Now she's a co-owner of 100 Thieves, which is one of the biggest gaming organizations in the world. Um, and obviously she's crushing it from a, in terms of numbers and brand deals. The craziest thing to me when I read, like, read these origin stories is like how old some of these people are. Valkyrie is 28. <laughs> right she's basically like all right but uh just blowing it out of the water uh so there's like people like that that i think of like for her she's at the top of her industry which is esports and gaming um but there's other people that you'd never heard of like there's an there's a tiktok account uh that i wrote an article i think a couple months ago about a dog named what about bunny that's the tiktok handle and uh it's a dog that uses these things called hex tiles, uh, where the dog like steps on different uh, buttons, essentially different hex tiles to say phrases. So that's literally what the content is. And so it's the mom teaching the dog on how to like associate one tile with a certain word. So the mom will ask like, hey, bunny, what do you want to do? And then bunny will tap three, three or four different hex tiles and say, I go outside and then the mom will be like, okay, and go open the door, right? So uh, obviously super cute dogs are just fantastic content in general uh, on TikTok and off of TikTok. But from there, that account started blowing up after a million followers, uh, they started making merch and they're like, hey, we can put our dog on a shirt and start selling. They made over a million in sales really quickly. And then they're like, these hex tiles are like a, a research company that isn't selling them. Can we like create a product around this and then use the TikTok account to like blow it up and build a business around that? So they did that, did that too. And so it's literally just like someone who's like, hey, I wanna post a cute like dog stuff on TikTok and now it's a full fledged business. So there's tons of stories that I like learning about that, about those and then doing these deep dives uh, and then just understanding like, how did they take it from something that was you know, mostly for like family and friends and just for good laughs or a smile uh, to now being like, you know, okay, this is a business. Like, let's think about the ways we can monetize and like teach people about, hey, you can take the stuff that isn't necessarily like super cool or like productized and it's fully polished and you can make a business around it. And there's a lot of different types of content creators that uh, accidentally made some stuff. It started getting a lot of traction and they're like, cool, now let's start figuring out ways to uh, convert our audience into actual sales. Um, 
but yeah, I think a couple of those, those like deep dives are kind of really fascinating for me to like learn more about people's origin stories. Uh, and then kind of just, can, it's almost like profiling them in some aspect and being like, hey, here's the story of how so-and-so became so-and-so today. Um, and obviously I kind of stole a little bit from Marvel, I guess, and people love understanding origin stories of like how people got to where they are today. Um, but creators themselves sometimes don't even tell them the, their own stories. Uh, so it's just a good way of kind of giving my small little platform uh, to some people that I just love consuming their content. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think I just checked them out. They have uh, the, what's it, where is Bunny or what is Bunny saying? It has like 6.6 .6 million followers, which is, yeah. is wild. And it's interesting to see like that's how awesome. the like, creator economy has changed from like the early days of YouTube. You know, you're like watching like one or two videos and people are pumping them out like once every month and like production's really low quality. But, you know, it's funny. And like now it's like, I don't even watch TV anymore. I watch YouTube. Like, mm -hmm. I, I can't remember Same. the last time, like, I've like, seriously dived into a Netflix show versus like just like watching like someone on YouTube or like watching a couple of videos on YouTube. So like, I think that whole direction is really interesting. Um, there's something about I, it that there's like something about it that that I feel like us as consumers love to see like it, it, they just the people seem more relatable. You know, mm -hmm. they're not like a, a, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio who like none of us are, are even close to, but just like seeing some, <laughs> some dorky guy like David Dobrik, you know, he's just more relatable and it's, and it's more fun to see, you know, things like that. I think that's where our generation's heading. Yeah. And, and to that point, like it's people our age, right? Like it's people that are in their twenties, maybe early thirties. Uh, and some of the draw of a lot of the YouTubers that I'm sure all three of us probably consume is that a lot of it isn't fully produced. It's not a giant Hollywood production where you can tell that like, I'll, I would never be able to do that with my iPhone. Like that doesn't, that, that there's a huge disconnect. But for YouTube, it's literally just like, you take your phone, you put it on yourself and that is your content, right? And some people are really good at that and, and some people aren't. But uh, that relatability and that accessibility is, is huge for YouTube because it makes the viewer feel like they can do what the person that they're watching is doing. Yeah, it's like barrier centered actually like produce is a lot lower. But sure. yeah. I'm really curious to hear, you know, like how you've taken what you've done so far with like the newsletter and the podcast and then actually translated that into like your professional life now at public and how you actually ended up like maybe not like the full recruitment story of how you got this new job, but like how you, you know, just thought about it and went about it. Yeah. So this, like I said, the newsletter started, uh, I want to say back in like early 2019. Um, and I kind of had the goal of like in a year, I want to find something in the creator industry. Uh, I don't exactly know what it is. Um, I don't exactly know how to get there. But uh, I've always had this like track record of like setting goals that I have no idea how to achieve and then figuring it out along the way. Um, so like, but I'll get back to the creator stuff in a second, but like back in 2017, uh, I made like five New Year's, New, Year's, New Year's resolutions that was like, do a sober year for a full year, complete a triathlon, do like a 200 mile bike race, get like 12 running bibs in 12 months. Stuff that like sounds insane, right? Uh, you're on mute, Saren. <laughs> I just but, said, I just said, am pretty ambitious. Yeah, right. Uh, especially because like January first, I was like, 
I want to do these five things. And then I think January 20th, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can barely run a mile. I barely know how to swim. I don't even have a bike. How am I supposed to bike for 200 miles? Um, but I kind of had this idea. I was like, all right, cool. Like I'm putting this out into the universe of like, yo, I'm doing these things this year. Uh, and then I just like had to stick to it. So the first few months were difficult in many different aspects. Sober year being one, the old fitness side being the other. Um, but at the end of the year, like I finished all of those things. I like found a way to be like, okay, I know how to swim now. Great. Uh, I bought a bike. Let's go biking and like slowly get better and better. And for the creator stuff, it became a very similar type of thing, just a little bit later in, in life. So I think in 2019, I kind of started the newsletter with that intent of I want to build out some type of expertise and essentially like prove to companies that, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about because he's written about it for months um, and he's just written so and so different articles. I, I love the idea of like changing the way that people talk about you. Uh, and so I wanted the way that people talked about me to be not like, oh, cool, he works for Salesforce or like, oh, cool, he works at Intel. That's fine if like that's the your identity and like how you wrap things up. But for me, I love the idea of uh, being like a multi-hyphenate person being like, hey, he works at X company, but he's also got a newsletter. He's also got a podcast. He's also like a fitness instructor. He also like does X, Y, Z things. And uh, I think especially now, like in 2021, we have the ability to do 5 million different things if we want to, and they don't have to be like money earning things. They can just be normal things. And majority of people right now are multi-hyphenates by default. Like we're brothers, sisters, moms, dads, uh, guitar players, you know, runners, whatever. Um, but we typically just like identify with the job. So anyway, back to the creator stuff, I set out with that goal of like, okay, how can I break into the industry uh, and show some expertise? And then I started writing about um, creators and uh, I started using Twitter a little bit more strategically to being like, hey, let's break down some of these things I'm seeing um, in the creator economy. So I would create different like Twitter threads. Some of those would go viral. Uh, I started using TikTok as well of like, Hey, how is TikTok thinking about using at the time it was duets? Um, and I, I thought about like, hey, how can TikTok be used for duets uh, in the area of collaboration and, and music creation? And then that somehow randomly popped off. So like, oh, people like people like to read what I want to put out to the internet. Huh. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so let's continue with the newsletter and hopefully from there we'll uh hopefully lead to something um so in terms of timeline what happened is i, I left salesforce uh, around november of last year uh, i joined a program called on deck uh which huge proponent of um and the idea is essentially building like an online cohort of people that uh, are all interested in furthering their education but it's not necessarily tied to university um, and it's a really, really tight knit community that uh, I personally love. I'm obviously biased because I just went through it. <laughs> but uh, if you are like post college and uh, you don't necessarily want to go to university, On Deck is, is a great place to kind of get your foot in the door um, and just build up your network, especially as we're all virtual, it's all online. Um, 
And then from there, during that time, I was like in the mindset of how can I kind of pitch myself better to get a job in the creator economy? And what are the companies, startups, mid-sized, big companies that are hiring in the space? Uh, and how can I get some time with different hiring managers um, and eventually land a job? A couple months later, finished on deck, um, started interviewing around, and then uh, I actually, <laughs> the story is it's not that that secret anymore because I've told it a few times, but basically uh, Public had done this like marketing push about IPO oats, which is like a cereal. And a bunch of people that I follow on Twitter would like upload photos of the cereal box. And I was like, I love cereal. Why don't I like ask for a cereal box? Because that's how people use Twitter. <laughs> and I did. Um, and uh, my now manager reached out and she's like, oh, yeah, I can get you a cereal box. Cool. Like, let me know. And I was like, all right, that's fantastic. Um, and then from there, I went to the website. I understood a little bit about what they were doing, saw they were hiring. Uh, and then the same, literally the same evening, I got like a phone call. I got, got on a phone call with my now hiring manager. Um, and then after the full interview process, ended up working here. Um, so very, very like fast paced. Obviously, we're still a startup, but I think the the main two takeaways from this very long answer is uh, put yourself out there because you don't necessarily know when things will happen and they'll likely take longer than you think. And number two is just general consistency. So if you're putting out any type of content, make it consistent. For me at the time, it was every Sunday putting out a deep dive into a certain creator, understanding how they do brand deals, what's their income revenue, their business model, et cetera. Um, and then putting that out to Twitter. And Twitter for me was like the main place where uh, a lot of eyeballs would see the content and then drive traffic back to the newsletter. Uh, so. That's kind of how I got into the creator economy and kind of how I got my job here at public. And now it's just a matter of like, how can we do a lot more cool things in creator marketing? And there's a lot of cool ways that you can collaborate with new, new and newer and bigger creators um, and just expand kind of our collaborations. It's definitely like a, a growing market. Uh, and it's something that we're really interested from a brand side for public uh, to be a part of. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with your advice about, uh, just being scrappier and, and putting yourself out there to get the role. And clearly public was like, okay, this guy has a marketing background. He is a creator who talks about creators. We're, we're, we want this guy to, to run creator marketing for us. So um, tell us a little bit about the strategy behind creator marketing at public. Like what kinds of creators are you targeting? Um, what does your team look like? What are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, and, and what are your overall goals? Yeah, I mean, the way that we think about creators is basically uh, we think of, about creators as like a growth strategy, right? So when you think about traditional marketing, word of mouth is by default the number one way that anyone hears about anything, right? Uh, you can buy billboards, you can buy ads on Facebook, etc. But word of mouth has been the number one way by default. So when you think about creators, and a creator says, hey, I really love this brand. I really love this product. There's an, often, there's an authenticity value prop there. And there's also just a brand alignment prop that permeates through their audience much better than anything you could ever do on a Facebook ad or a billboard or anything else. So when you think about creators, it's basically that of how do we not only align on values, 
not only align on brand ideals and just general mission, um, but also lead into creators and what they want to do. So for us, and specifically for me, because uh, I'm currently just heading up this, this side of uh, the, the house, um, we have a ton of different creators on the platform that are talking about different types of content. Uh, and then we also have a lot of people who are very new when uh, the big stuff uh, in terms of retail traders and GameStop and AMC happened at the beginning of the year, we had a wave of interest because people were just, just, just getting started with like, how do I make a brokerage account? How do I get started with investing? And how do I get started with financial literacy? And public is the best place to do that. Uh, for two, I mean, so basically there's two different reasons. One is because there's a community of people and a social side to it, knowledge in it right now is basically just how, how can I learn from other people rather than learn from coursework or going to university, etc. And if I'm asking questions to certain people and I consistently see that they're putting out certain types of content, they probably know a little bit more than I do about that topic. So for public, uh, I didn't know what ETFs were when I joined. And there's a couple of people that I followed and they're consistently putting out some content on like, here's what an ETF is. Here's what maybe a couple different ETFs that are uh, interesting to you could be. Um, and then you consistently consume that content and you're like, oh, you know, this person knows what they're talking about. And then in the comments section, you can have a conversation rather than a one-way street, which is typically the model for most education platforms is you'll have a course or you're watching a YouTube video, you can't interact with that person. You can't have a conversation about the next level of questioning or the next step once you go from beginner to intermediate to advanced. But on public, it's a social feed. So you have a conversation and you're learning directly from that person. What are their opinions? Maybe even a little bit more like what are their biases? Uh, how can I kind of learn more research and understand things on my own? Uh, and then at the same time, you can flip around and say, cool, I think I've done enough research. I, I want to get started and get my feet wet. I want to invest. And all of that is on public. So 50% social side, 50% investing side. When you think about creators and different verticals, we love creators of all different avenues, all different types of content. Uh, it doesn't really matter if they're specifically in finance or a certain other vertical. Obviously on our app, it's an investing platform that has a social side. So if they're already in finance, they have a baked in kind of expertise value prop there. We have tons of creators from New York Times bestsellers like Sofia Amoroso to supermodels like Iskra Lawrence to, uh, to also like college students who are learning in public and learning on the fly of like how to get started with investing, building their portfolios, being really, really transparent about what they do know and what they don't know, and then learning from the community standpoint. Um, and my kind of life motto, which ironically works for public as well, is I'm long-term knowledge and I'm long-term investing. Uh, and that's exactly the type of people that we have on public is people that are there in it for the long run because they want to invest, invest, uh, in long-term knowledge over a long period of time and see the returns of their investments. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's awesome. And I remember, um, I love the hat, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. If it's a public hat or you just made the hat and bought it, but... No, it's a public hat, yeah. I think All the subtle, subtle plugs, huh? <laughs> the public, there you go, boom. Public, um... <laughs> anyway.
yeah, I remember when like the whole GameStop happened, no one could trade on Robinhood. Like that's what I had never heard about public.com until then. And then it just like blew up. Oh, I had people asking me like, should I change? Like my sister texted me, she like, should I use public.com? I'm like, I've never even heard of public.com until today. So um, yeah, I thought that was like a super interesting like event that happened and kind of like changed the way we also think about investing. And like, I don't know, like for me, like investing is, I, I haven't thought about investing like, some of the kids in college think about investing like again i'm like very long-term hold and like my portfolio is my portfolio i don't really like show it to anyone so it's really interesting to see like public's angle on it. and i actually just checked out your portfolio and like all the like long-term holds you have like what you, what's yeah. in your watch list like why you're interested in these companies and again it's like back to the theory of like democratizing access and making it more transparent which i think is super interesting and like something we're going to see for the next 10 years um, yeah, that's exactly. So, I mean, you hit our mission on the nail right there. But uh, I think to your point, there's a lot of like the stigma about don't talk about your investments, don't talk about where your money is, don't talk about like how much money you make, how much where you're like putting your dollars. Uh, and I think at public, it's just a matter of like democratizing the access to the stock market and then being really open about like why you want to invest in certain companies. I think having those conversations with friends, with colleagues, or at happy hours is really, really good. And the only way you learn is by having more and more of those conversations and understanding like why Snapchat announces X amount of things or like why Tesla did this. Uh, and then learning more and more about how different market moves affect companies and sectors and industries and like what are ETFs, <laughs> what are index funds, right? And the way you learn, at least for me and the majority of people, I think by default is by talking to other people. Uh, it's not just kind of like sitting behind and, and reading theory. Um, but yeah, the main goal for us as, as public is democratizing access to the stock market. It's not just for the people that are on Wall Street. It's for everyone. Uh, and we really want to be able to build those conversations over time. And the overall mission is increase everyone's financial literacy uh, because it's something that's still not taught that much in school. And so you have a lot of college kids that once they turn 18, they're, they're making money but they don't, they're not financially literate, right? And so how do you invest in the stock market if you never got the education? Uh, and that's what public is trying to solve is kind of, how do we build that next generation of kids or investors who are financially literate and they understand the long-term value props that they need to build out for their future? Yeah, I agree. And I feel like we can talk about this for forever, to be honest, and just like, yeah. you know, the problems with, you know, education right now and not teaching financial literacy like upfront. Uh, but I think we're getting close to wrapping. So I really just want to get some ending thoughts on, especially since creator economy is like a pretty new concept. And like for any of our viewers that want to kind of jump into this like new space or like get a job, like what tips and like ending advice would you give? And then also would love to hear, you know, any future plans you have for yourself and understand if you can't talk too deeply about it. But <laughs> uh, Yeah. So uh, in terms of tips, I typically give three. One, bet on yourself invest in yourself, whatever that means. Uh, if that means creating content on a newsletter, a podcast, uh, any other type of avenue, uh, you probably have a lot more knowledge about a certain topic or subject than someone else does and sharing it into the universe and on Twitter and wherever else you want to share content uh, will only help you because you're learning in public and by default, you'll start building a community. So number one is just share whatever you want uh, and actually create things. Two uh, is don't be afraid to like ask dumb questions. Uh, 
at any given point in time, anyone that you think is an expert in whatever space, whether it's finance or business or creating a podcast, has asked the exact same dumb questions and will 99% of the time be willing to help you if you have good intent. So uh, if that means firing off a cold DM or a cold email, go for it. Uh, third thing is basically kind of the similar thing to the other two is uh, you have nothing to lose anymore. Like worst case scenario is you end up back to where you are right now. And if you take a little bit of a leap of faith uh, in terms of seeking out a new job area, um, give yourself some type of timeline, create like uh, it's called, I think it's called like a smart goal. I forget what the SMART is, but like basically give yourself like a timeline and uh, some type of like motivation to get to a certain industry and then start proving out that you can do the job before you get the job. So if you have a certain job description that you're interested in, let's say you want to work at a big tech company or you want to work at the startup, find what that job description is and then find people that you want to get introductions to and then start leveraging your network. So in terms of, for me, the creator economy, number one is like build some type of expertise. So start consuming a lot of the content, speaking the language, understanding the terms, understanding how some different creators do different things, uh, consume the podcast, read books. Uh, there's not that many books on the creator economy anyway, but read newsletters, <laughs> uh, watch YouTube, you know, stuff like that. Um, and really just immerse yourself into whatever industry it is. Uh, and then start building out some type of expertise, whether it's I'm a really good writer, so I want to create a newsletter or I want to create a podcast or I want to create uh, a secondary Twitter and use that as like a mini brand and build that out. Or I want to create TikToks or I want to create Snapchats or whatever it might be. Um, start creating a content library that you can start talking to hiring managers uh, with and then ideally say like, hey, here's kind of my portfolio of work. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, five years of stuff. It can be six months. It can be a year. It can be two months. It can be 10 days uh, to build out that portfolio. So I would say those, those three things of just putting yourself out there, building in public. Number two uh, is just don't be afraid to get started. And three is build out that portfolio of whatever you want your next job to be. Because at the end of the day, companies and brands are looking for people that can do the job and hit the ground running. And if you can prove to them that you're already doing the job that they want, it's a no brainer in terms of getting hired. Um, so yeah, good luck. Uh, and uh, I think the best way to learn about the creator economy, I'm a little biased, is going to creatorsdigest.substack.com. Small plug at the end as well. Uh, and <laughs> um, just... I think put yourself out there and feel free to DM me with any uh, questions or reach out. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. But hopefully that helps people. They have I any. Trying, I, I think you're trying to wrap up, Shardul, but I think we're all curious what's next for you. You know, what, where are your, yeah. what are your plans? <laughs> My plans are uh, I want to figure out more on the newsletter side. Um, I've had a few like cool interactions with the newsletter. Um, Season one of the podcast is over. So I did over a hundred episodes, kind of wrapped that up. Uh, I'm not exactly sure yet what to do with season two. Uh, I want to kind of package it out to, to build something. Um, so I think like for me, uh, there's the, the day job, uh, which is uh, public. And then outside of that is the newsletter. Um, 
And then outside of that is a couple other like smaller things that I want to build out into businesses that I can't talk about yet. Um, but I, I think over time, I'm kind of realizing that like once you've built out a little bit of content or you've tried something for a while, you get into a space where you're like, huh, okay, I, I kind of have an audience here. I kind of have like something that works. Let me figure out how to monetize it. The flip side of that is putting in a lot of time and effort and, and not really getting an audience or only getting like the same few people and being like, maybe this isn't that big to monetize. So maybe I should kind of change the way I do things, figure out a business structure, et cetera. And so I'm kind of balancing both those where the newsletter definitely is something that uh, I could monetize and probably will, um, but the podcast isn't quite there just yet. And then the other pieces are very much hazy. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, coming up for me is basically figuring out more on how do we do great collaborations with different creators on and off of public. Um, how do we build out the creator arm of public itself, increase the brand awareness, have more and more people, more and more people download the app, invest and uh, post on the, on the app. Uh, and then just generally like, how do we work with more and more creators to create cool things? Uh, we love kind of understanding audiences and, and building out those partnerships. Uh, so I'd say that's that's what's next for me uh, in terms of the the short future here. <laughs> yeah. Love it, love it. Well, big things are are headed your way, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the pod. Um, you know, hope hope our listeners you learned something. And as always, uh, feel free to send us an email at technologicalpod at gmail dot com. Uh, other than that, thanks, Shardul. Really appreciate you coming out and. Uh, Hope you all enjoy this episode. Peace. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Cheers.